It's in John 11, verse 17 through 44. And I'm going to read the whole thing. It says this, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Lord, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house Consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen, strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Lord, I ask now that you would teach us that you are the resurrection and the life. And as these students face all sorts of things in the present and they will face harder things in the future that you would remind them of these words throughout their life that you would remind me of these words throughout my life and that we would remember that you are the type of God that raises dead people and so would you teach us that now by your Holy Spirit in Christ's name, Amen so we've been saying that this is a series entitled Encounters with Jesus, and we have come now to what's often referred to by scholars as Jesus' last sign in the Gospel of John. So if you remember way back in John 2, there's this part in John 2 where Jesus changes water into wine, 
And in verse 11, after he does that miracle, it says this, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, if you were to go back to the beginning of this chapter in verse four in John, it seems as if Jesus knowingly let Lazarus die so that he could perform this miracle for a specific purpose. And he says this in verse four of chapter 11. This illness does not lead to death. And he's talking about Lazarus. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified in it. So there's a sense into which resurrection is more about the glory of God than the person being raised uh, itself. And as I've been thinking about this passage, really for the entire semester, I, I just love, I love the teaching on the resurrection. And part of why I love it is because this is a big thing for me. With my whole life, ever since I was a little boy, I've wrestled with death and what that means. Um, And it's a place of doubt in my life where I doubt God's goodness and I doubt his love because I'm scared that he won't protect me from it. And as I think about you all and the things that you wrestle with, not, not just with your own mortality, but the death of relationships the loss of time, the things that you may regret doing while you're here in school. I believe that this encounter with Jesus is maybe one of the clearest things where we see how personal he is in his movement towards us, especially in his, the way he handles loss, the way he handles death. And there are three things in regards to death that I want us to see tonight. The first is that he confronts death. Jesus confronts death. The second is that he grieves death. And the third is that he gives himself over to death. So number one, Jesus confronts death with truth specifically. I want you to look at how Jesus interacts with Martha in verses 20 through 26. And then in verse 39 and 40. And one of the things I want you to be asking tonight throughout uh, the the sermon here is, are you more of a Mary type or a Martha type person? Um, You know, Martha's the type of person that tries to stay in control of her emotions. Uh, And by the way, I have um, copied a lot of what I'm going to say from preachers that have preached way better sermons on this passage than I will ever preach. Folks like Tim Keller and... Uh, Sammy Rhodes. And also I've been tremendously helped by a commentary by a guy named D.A. Carson. But I want you to think about this. When, when stuff goes awry in your life, do you tend to bury your emotions? Especially when hard stuff happens. Do you tend to not let yourself feel grief so that you are able to function and complete the task that's before you? And almost nine times out of ten, <laughs> You are a Martha type if you are the oldest sibling, uh, if you're conservative, if you're the type of person that plans, and if you know all the right answers. And what, what you need to know if you're that type of person, and I am that type of person, is that death confronts you and messes you up. And Jesus comes and says to Martha, your brother's going to rise again. You know that, right? And she says, I know he's going to rise again at the last day. Jews, Jews believed in the resurrection of the dead, much like Christians do in the first century. 
But it's almost as if Jesus gets right, right in her face and, and says, look, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection in life. What do you guys do with the parts of your belief that don't line up with your reality? Like you say you believe something, but the practicality of how it works itself out in your life is missing. See, Martha's belief in Jesus was abstract as it is with most type A people. Because we're uncool with messiness, even her desire. I mean, think about this. She's worried that Lazarus's body is decomposing and stinking and that other people are going to smell it and everyone's going to be uncomfortable with that. And that almost prevents her from seeing this miraculous resurrection because she cannot help herself. She's always serving, never in debt to anyone, never allowing herself to settle down, never allowing herself to cry. Never allowing herself not to have the answers. And I think Jesus says to Martha, to the Marthas in this room, y'all need to stop. Y'all need to stop and you need to look at Jesus. You know, busyness is one of those things that will keep you from the gospel. It really will. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this, busyness is the enemy of spirituality. It's essentially laziness. It is doing the easy thing instead of the hard thing. It's filling our days with our own actions instead of paying attention to God's action. And that quote may make some of you Marthas in this room even make not being busy into a chore. And that's not the way either. We are not to spend all of our time sitting in coffee shops and thinking about God and reading our Bibles. I think what Jesus is telling Martha here is that I'm personal. I'm a person. Jesus is not just a doctrine. So this is, very, this is a very confrontational thing for me. I, if you care to know, I am a Martha-type person with almost every aspect of my life except when it comes to death. And some, some of the best moments I've had with my family surround funerals, especially the ones that have occurred over the past four years. And I'm usually the type of person that can hold it together emotionally (laughs) um, until death happens, and then I lose it. And so last year, about this time, uh, the closest grandfather that I had, he was a step-grandfather, his name was Charlie, uh, died. And I was asked to do his eulogy like five years before he died by him. And on the way out there, our flight was delayed and our luggage didn't get there. Um, And so... The morning of the funeral, Sarah and I have to go to Kohl's and get an outfit uh, for the funeral. And Sarah comes up. We only have a limited number of minutes um, because we're on our way to the funeral. And she comes up to the cast register and doesn't know what shoe to choose. She has two pair. And so I'm a little mad when I get uh, into the pulpit to do the eulogy. And I'm sad that my grandfather's gone. Um... And I'm feeling the weight of all this, and it makes me feel strange to be talking about the gospel in front of my family because I was the kid that was a pagan and didn't care about people or what was going on in my family's life. And all of this stuff sort of just mounted up, and I almost got through the eulogy, and then at the end I lost it. And I don't know if you've ever lost it emotionally in public, 
but it is uncomfortable um, for everyone involved. And the part of the eulogy where I lost it was when I was reading these verses from 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55. It says this. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And my mother uh, confronted me two months after the funeral. And you could tell she was wanting to ask me about, about what happened. We were FaceTiming. And she said, she said Matt, what happened at the funeral? Uh, Why did you cry so much? Is everything Okay. Um, and I told her I cried, I lost control because no, everything's not okay. And when I read places like 1 Corinthians in the Bible, it tells me that it's okay to feel that. That it's only when the perishable puts on the imperishable that death will be swallowed up. And that hasn't happened yet in full. It's happened partially in Christ and it makes me sad that my grandfather Charlie is a bunch of ashes. And if I could have articulated it in the time, I would have said to my mother, what happened at the funeral is that God allowed me to become a Mary. That my normal ways of coping with this life stopped working and I broke down and I became a Mary. And ironically, when that happened... I was overjoyed with the reality that Jesus is going to raise my grandfather from the dead one day. But you can't get there unless you cry. And though, you know, it's, it's not like you can make that happen, but Jesus became real to me in that moment. What Jesus shows us here in John 11 it is a little foretaste of what it's going to be like in the future when God calls you out of your tomb. And he confronts us and says, look, I, I am the resurrection. I'm not just a doctrine. And if you believe in me, you will never die. And that must mean in some sense that death is going to be like falling asleep for those who are in Christ. That it will be like a sickness that does not lead to death for those in Christ. But we need to look at how Jesus interacts with Mary as well and see the second aspect of how Jesus handles death. Jesus grieves death in love. I want to reread verses 32 through 35, which say this. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and Jesus who had come with her also And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. One of the things those preachers uh, pointed out about this passage is that in verse 21 and 32, the question that Mary and Martha ask is verbatim the exact same. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And yet Jesus uh, responds to Mary totally differently than he does with Martha. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw this and the Jews who'd come with her, it says that he was, he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. Now that's a weak translation in English. In the original, 
Um, that word is used to describe sometimes animals that make bellowing sounds or groaning sounds. It's also used sometimes to describe someone vomiting. If you think about Jesus doing that, for you, regardless of what he was actually doing, I want, I want you to see how he responds, how Jesus himself responds to someone who's so deeply troubled and so deeply wounded. And mainly what I want you to see is that Jesus cries with you. You know, when I talk with some of you uh, in this room with one-on-ones, I don't know, almost always, I don't know whether to grieve or to be sad with you or to speak the truth into your life. And it's because I'm pastoring you out of my own limited life experience. And what I want you to see about Jesus is that he's the great counselor. That he's perfectly balanced. That he speaks truth when you need truth and he cries when you need someone to cry with you. And that in some sense he enters the confusion of your life and he's just as confused as you are with you. And that's his humanity coming out. He's angry at death. And I'm not sure you've ever had someone cry with you. um, But it is a moving thing to be a puddle of emotion and to look up and see a friend crying with you when you're crying. That's why I'm so often asking you guys to tell me your story. Tell me where in your life things went wrong. Because what I'm wanting you to see is that Jesus wants to cry with you there. And you may simply, you may, you may say, I have racked my memory and I simply don't have a troubled life. <laughs> I'm not a deeply saddened person. And uh, if that's you, I just want you to hear me say, it's coming. It's coming. And when the time comes, know that you can be a Mary in those moments and that Jesus loves Mary's. He loves Martha's, but he cries with Mary's. And one of the greatest things you can do at a funeral is to not talk and be present and be sad with the family. Don't come out with all those cheesy Christian cliches. Um, Some of you in here totally track with Mary and you're like, man, I could cry all day long. I get this. Um, And I think what you need to see is what verse 34 says when Jesus says, where have you laid him? I love that. And Jesus is the only person who, after crying, can actually get up and do something about death. And that's what we want at a funeral, by the way. When someone dies, it feels so inevitable. It feels so helpless. And what you desperately want to hear is someone say, this is not it. It's it's going to get better. They're going to come back. It's going to be made right again. And that's exactly what Jesus shows us here. It's a little foretaste of the future. That's what's happening. You could think of it as a trailer, a movie trailer of the future new creation. For all those in Christ. That one day he's going to say your name and you will come out of the tomb. He's going to say it's time to wake up. And the reason he can do this is because he gives himself to death. There's, a, there's an exchange happening here. 
which is the third point. Jesus gives himself to death and sacrifice. The reason we know that Jesus had this sort of substitutionary sacrifice in mind after this last sign was that this is the turning point of the Gospel of John. Um, After he does this, the plan to put him to death gets kicked into high gear. And the Jews know. Lazarus was a prominent dude in his society. And the Jews know that if people see this, they're going to start believing in him. And so from chapters 12 and following until Jesus' resurrection, people are trying to put him to death and they succeed. And when Jesus gives himself deeply to this instance, to this scenario, when he calls Lazarus out, he knows that this is the end for him. And that's his glory. That he's your sacrifice. That whatever we do endure in this life is nothing compared to what he endured. And I want you to see that great exchange in the passage in verses 41 through 44. It says, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around me that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out and his hands and his feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Verse 42, why does Jesus resurrect people? It's so that you would believe in him. What is belief in Jesus? It is to be so caught up with how perfect and powerful that he is that you say, I want him. And I want everything he has to offer. And I want death to be swallowed up forever. Now, I know that many of you in this room are, you think, look, I like the sound of this. I love it. Um, But I got to walk out of here and live my life. I have tests to take. I have been broken by relationships. I have to find a job. And I guess what I want you to hear me say tonight is that that stuff is, it is important. It is your life. But compared to this, compared to the fact that Jesus can bring dead people to life, It's kind of like focusing on the linen strips and the cloth of Lazarus and not realizing what's underneath the cloth, that someone that was dead is now alive. And that to always be focusing on the next task at hand is not going to prepare you to enter and exit the tomb. And I need you to let that sink in as your pastor, that you're going to die. And everyone you know is going to die. And stuff like what happened this past week is going to continue to happen until the new creation. And Jesus promises that those who are in him do not have to face that stuff alone. And in some supernatural sense, those who belong to him never really die because he never leaves them at their death. And the reason he can say that is because he enters the grave for you. 
And so, you know, you're young. I, I understand that death isn't on the forefront of your mind. For some of you, it is. But what is it in your life that represents the grave? How are you dealing with that? Are you a Mary or are you a Martha? And will you see Jesus entering those places that you are so desperately frightened of and coming out victorious on the other and holding your hand the whole time, telling you it's going to be okay? Uh, I love Martha. I, I love that Jesus includes worried doubters into his glory, the glory of the resurrection of all those who are in Christ. And one day, death will be swallowed up fully. And until then, this is what you need to know. Um, This really happened. Like Jesus really did raise a man from the dead. And God really did raise Jesus from the dead. And he really does have a body at the right hand of God as I'm speaking. That he did undo death. And my call for you tonight, both Christian and non, is for you to believe that. That's a call to myself, too. Let's pray. Uh, Father, would you teach us that this is true? We realize that that is done by the Holy Spirit. That's done by a work of you. And it's, in some sense, just as supernatural as the resurrection. And so... As we move out of here, as we take our tests, as we get married, as we get broken up with, as we get sad about so many things, as we feel joy, Lord, that you would be present and remind us that at the end of it all, you make things right. And you do that so that you will be glorified. And so let us find you beautiful in the midst of our chaos. Let the world cry out to you while it is hurting. And let your church be a fortress of grace and mercy and peace. And we ask this.